This is In Search of Tracks podcast, a podcast where each week we take a deep dive into a different album and ultimately answer the burning question, are there tracks? I'm Pete. And I'm Bob. And we're here today to take a deep dive into our album of the week. Um, this week we're going to be talking about Killing Joke's self-titled album, but it's not their icon- iconic 1980s self-titled album. It's their iconic question mark 2003 self-titled album yeah um and i'm excited about it bob what's up i am uh i'm actually super excited to talk about this record um yeah uh i yeah i'm I'm stoked i think people will have a fun ride with us i i had a surprising time um so uh (laughs) as, as always you can follow us on social media at tracks pod easy tracks pod yep. and we love the emails we get at trackspod at gmail.com super easy trackspod at gmail.com uh pete how you been how's everything going your I've world's all, good i've been all right i've been all right um i've been watching a lot of movies which has been nice oh yeah, yeah. that's a really nice what tell me one that has surprised you in a positive way and one that was a letdown um all right so um my wife has been really into the criterion channel recently Mm, um we've been going deep on a lot of the a lot of foreign films that i just i've never seen or she's never seen or just you know directors that we wanted to you know finally watch some of their movies um and one of the best ones i think so far was um tarkovsky Okay. Um, a Russian director did a movie called Solaris. Oh which, yeah. Yeah. Which, uh, everybody loves classic movie. I had never seen any of his movies and, uh, it was great. Loved it. Okay. So it's one of the, one of those, one of those movies though, where it's like, it's deep. Like I watched it. I don't know that I totally got what was going on. I don't know that you're supposed to get totally what's going on, but it, it was one of those movies that aesthetically and and sonically like the soundtrack is great it's it's so great that uh the storyline is kind of secondary it's kind of like like it's like lynch in a way i guess mm-hmm. okay <clears throat> so that was cool that makes sense now give me give me one that was rough to sit through um i watched critters three <laughs> so the other side of the criterion uh, <laughs> exactly yeah. the other criterion channel which is uh amazon prime and it's like k-i criterions uh, yeah, uh, yeah 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 now critters one critters two great movies critters three uh you can okay. skip it okay all right because i know I, I, I know everyone was like dying to go that deep with critters <laughs> are you into the leprechaun movies i like the leprechaun movies um how deep do you go I've watched most of them. Um, wow. I really like Leprechaun in the Hood. I don't so much like Leprechaun Back to the Hood. What? Oh my God! Yeah. What about Leprechaun Four in Space? That movie. I really wanted it to be good because I like when um, like horror movie characters go to space. Yeah. Um, but it was not great. Um, Jason X goes to space is a better you know monster in space movie if you ask me space horror um the more recent leprechaun leprechaun movies leprechaun origins and leprechaun returns have like a real 
Harry Potter, Lord of the Rings feel in the the way they're they're marketed. Yeah, um, it's very odd. Good for them. <laughs> That's really wild. Um, so I also, I also to... real quick, I watched my favorite. Uh, I know it's a little late for Christmas, but oh, yeah. si- Silent Night, Deadly Night. If you're into horror movies and <laughs> horror movies based around Christmas, Silent Night, Deadly Night is great, and Silent Night, Deadly Night Two is. Yo, they literally use half of the movie of the first movie as like really? as like a like you know the main character is like calling back to what happened you know last Christmas the way they do in lazy uh, twenty two minute sitcoms right yeah, yeah exactly and they just cut yeah exactly that and they just cut in like scenes from the first movie it's it's wow. wild but it's actually the scenes that are unique to the second movie it's great so the I'm looking at the movie poster for silent night deadly night part two <laughs> which is a uh oversized you know um christmas ornament like christmas tree decoration yeah like standard bulb kind of thing with a guy holding a handgun and then it just says the nightmare is about to begin dot dot <laughs> dot again so uh yeah this this all tracks i am gonna deep dive on the silent night deadly night <laughs> Uh, franchise because they made it up to five Silent Night Deadly Nights. I know that one of those um, was filmed in another country and the plot line has absolutely nothing to do with Silent Night Deadly Night um, but they released it as Silent Night Deadly Night like four or five because they thought that it would gain a wider audience if they did that. Wow. But it actually wow. has nothing to do with the franchise. I don't think yeah. I've ever seen it, though. If I did, this, I fell asleep or forgot. This seems pretty good. Uh, Silent Night, Deadly Night 5, The Toy Maker. Which I think stars, that's the one. Okay, it stars Mickey Rooney, who had previously condemned the original film. Man, you know there's some crazy people editing these wikis. <laughs> I can't believe... This is a long Wikipedia entry for a movie of this note. Let's see if it even has... It had a $250,000 budget. All right. I mean. Not bad. Right. Uh, released on VHS in November 91. Did it even have a theatrical release? Let's see this. I would say Our no. Phone. Yeah, I'm looking right now. Release date, November 7th. Yeah, so so it was released direct to video. <laughs> Silent Night. The cover art, the, the image, the box art for it, it's pretty good. It's a bunch of like super demonic looking uh stuffed animals yeah like a wide array so all right uh let's let's talk about music Pete. <laughs> we can do our silent night deadly night deep dive podcast later maybe that'll be a patreon yes yes that's, <clears throat> that's exactly right um killing jokes second self-titled album from 2003 killing joke so um killing joke if you're unfamiliar they are an english I guess I would call them a rock band formed in 1979. Um, first record came out in 1980, um, which is, I think the record that most people are probably familiar with. If you've ever heard of killing joke, mm-hmm. um, the cover art is somewhat iconic. I think at this point for sure. Absolutely. Um, they were kind of notable figures in the post-punk world. Um, and they've basically been putting out records ever since, you know, with, you know, five-year breaks, eight-year breaks here and there. Um, yep. 
they started out again as kind of a post-punk band. I think, you know, throughout the eighties, they got a little bit more gothy and new wavy. Um, and I don't know, I would say since like the mid early nineties, they've had more of a heavy kind of industrial sound. Mm. Um, but still an active band. They still put a record out every four or five years, um, still touring pretty actively. So, uh, yeah, I don't know. This is one that I heard maybe four years ago for the first time. I had always been familiar with the first record. Um, but a friend of mine, a friend of the pod, Ryan Jones Mm. was like, you've never heard the 2003 self-titled album. And I was like, no. And he was like, dude, it is a monolith. That's what he said to me. So um, I had to listen to it. I, um, yeah, so I have, <laughs> I had less familiarity with Killing Joke than I thought. I have heard the original self titled album, mostly because the cover art is super iconic. And yep. if you're interested in punk music of any form, whether that's <clears throat> post punk, you know, uh, crust punk, charged punk, f- hardcore, a post hardcore, it feels like a record you should hear at some point. That said, I was not familiar with this record, and I think it had been a very long time since I revisited the the original self-titled album. So uh, doing the dive on this record, as I kind of alluded to, uh, sent me sent me a few places. So um, I, I just was... I haven't... As we tried to do, we didn't really talk in the interim nor in any like pre-pro about our feelings on the record. Uh, so I'm, I'm pretty excited to to discuss. And and Pete, as I, I, one thing I did say pre-show start was that I'm going to lean on you and kind of be learning. I'm going to be doing some learning today on yeah. uh, Killing Joke. So... So I'm still learning myself for the record. I mean, I, I, I'm familiar with most of their catalog at this point, but um, yeah, I don't know. If if uh, if any of you out there are hyper Killing Joke super fans, please uh, let us know on social, email us, um, because we want to learn more about all this stuff. Yeah, yeah. I, I know there's some super fans out, and I do have a couple friends who are. And uh, the one good buddy who I talked to about this, uh, I called him out of nowhere to be like, yo, have you heard of this record? And he's like, oh, yes, and and was very excited to talk about it. Pete, when I first listened to this record, I – wait, are we sharing now or should we let's, – let's discuss the context. That was a good tease by me. I got like kind of excited <laughs> and I stopped myself. So we, we discussed how the 1980 album is kind of iconic. Album art's iconic. The record itself is iconic. It's, yeah. it's sort of – it's nascently – a post-punk record. It is post-punk. Are there many other records that sound very much like it? I don't know that there are. I don't know that there are. I mean, I'm using, you know, whenever you give a band or an album a genre, it's always tough because, you know, it never really fits, you know, really. But Killing Joke, I think they kind of stand apart from a lot of the other post-punk stuff that was going on. And it seems to me like... Historically, and again, anyone out there, correct me if I'm wrong. Um, it seems to me like they kind of operated on an island. Like it doesn't seem like they were deep into any particular scene. They were just kind of doing their their thing, you know, alongside and you know, concurrent with other bands at the time. 
Yeah, I, I, I think that what I like, broadly speaking, about Killing Joke is, is exactly that <laughs> they they seem to exist on an island. They they're they're labeled post punk, and that's not like you applied that to them. That's that's one of the primary. If you're going to go to a record store and there yeah. was a post punk section, there's a good chance this would be in there. You know, like I, you'd have to get more granular to separate it. They don't they don't sound like they're coming singularly from punk music, which you quite often find in the more like tried and true classics of the subgenre post punk. Is it's like oh, it's like what people who were into punk music did after, or they took the punk template and did this and that and changed this. Killing Joke certainly had some some punk-ish elements, but they were pulling from a lot more wells than that. And I think that's clear on the 1980 self-titled and vibrantly clear on the 2003 record. Yeah. So, um, and, and so... Let's also give context. This is the 11th album by Killing Joke. Yep. And I think it is, if it doesn't stand shoulder to shoulder with the 1980 self-titled, it's a half step down in terms of notable records of their career. Yeah, yeah, I think so. I mean, you can't really talk about this record without talking about um, Dave Grohl. So Mm. Dave Grohl played drums on this album. Apparently, from what I was reading, they had originally intended this album to have three different drummers on it. Yes. Um, they wanted to have John Dalmian from System of a Down, and they wanted to have Danny Carey from Tool um, alongside Dave Grohl. But apparently Dave Grohl heard the thing and was like, yo, I want to do the whole record. Um, and apparently he refused to get paid for it, which yes. there's a whole thing behind that. I've heard different stories i've heard people talk about it on message boards and it it, it <laughs> Yo, might, let's go let's go deep on this here yeah you i mean start it might be it, so this might be apocryphal like it might be something that like so many people have heard this story that everyone thinks it's true when in actuality it's not true um but apparently um you know killing joke had a song called 80s um, if you yes. listen to the song eighties and then you listen to the Nirvana song, come as you are, you will notice that, um, the guitar riffs sound very similar. So as the story goes, apparently there was, um, some legal action, um, that killing joke were taking against Nirvana. Um, I think there were some, com- some backdoor conversations and, uh, Dave Grohl basically said, Hey, I'll play drums on your record. If you don't, you know, get it. Basically that's your payback for us taking, um, eighties. So how tinfoil is that on our tinfoil scale, one to 10, one being not very tinfoil and 10 being, I have a hat made of it. How tinfoily is that? I'm going to say it's wait, was it one to 10? Yeah, one being not tinfoil, ten being I have a hat made of it. I don't know. I'm going to say a five. And I say a five because it sounds totally believable. Um, The fact that Dave Grohl refused to get paid for it is suspect to me. Um, But I don't know. I have no idea. So he's already got them Buku Foo Fighters box. This is 2002, 2003. Yep. 
Yeah, he's deep in Foo Fighters at this point. Yeah, yeah, he, he's <clears throat> he's swimming. He's Scrooge McDuckin. Um, <laughs> he has to have been a Killing Joke fan. Like, there's no question this dude was a fan of the band. I mean, he's uh, notoriously a fan of every band. So that's <laughs> <laughs> true. It's true. Uh, I think he might like like our band from 1984. Yeah. Um, so let's give him that. And just say he didn't need whatever money was coming out of this record. You At know, all. yeah, true. right. So, so like, let's let's give him that benefit. I'm giving this. I like how in on it you are. I, I'm giving it a solid seven and a half because, okay. given the size of Nirvana, um, and what it's uh, what song is it? It's um, it's one of the hit singles. Come the, as you the, are. The, Come as you are. That's yeah. right. I'm sorry. I, I forgot what you said. So <clears throat> given how big that was, how blatant, if, if you haven't heard this, do it. I did it recently. Um, just kind of stumbling around in the killing Joe catalog. It was like, okay, how close is close? It's, uh, it's, it's, uh, not quite vanilla ice close, but like not far off from that. It's like, dun, 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 dun. <laughs> That that's the killing joke. Close. Um, I think they would have gotten quite litigious at the time if they if there was a super issue there. Um, yeah, and they probably would have gotten paid out. And I don't think it would have required a Dave Grohl backdoor deal. So I'm giving it eight on the tinfoil hat scale. Yeah, P- pretty tinfoil. You've 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 assembled yourself a, a cone of tinfoil for that. <laughs> but I he think does you're play on this record. Yeah, I think you're right. I think. Yeah, there's no reason that this would have stretched out into 2003. Um, and I've actually seen interviews with Dave Grohl and Jazz Coleman, the singer, um, while they were recording. I think it's a part of the Killing Joke documentary, okay, which is on Amazon Prime, by the way. It's great. Mm-hmm. Um, and they seem super cordial. Like it's not this weird thing where he was he was like, "Oh fuck, I'll go into the studio and record." <laughs> like it seems like there was actually like really good energy, you know. So yeah. Yeah, I, I feel like it was more just like those dudes knew the energy of having this dude on the record. He also like like Spade to Spade. Dave Grohl is an incredible drummer, so yeah. Um, and I think you know, without spoilers, he adds to the record. Um, this record was notable. The cover art, in a very different way from the 1980 record, is very memorable. Do you agree? Yeah, I think so. It's so for someone who doesn't know, it's kind of this really goldenrod cover, um, solid background, and then a red clown with Killing Joke basically st- stickered across the eyes. Um, creepy clown. It's striking. You have likely seen it if you had been in a record store at any time after the record came out. It's just one of those records. I, I remember seeing posters for it. Very memorable. Um, even just in itself. So this, this is behind the 1980 record, the most important of their career potentially. And like, it's hard to say that given that I think their biggest songs were not off either of these two records. Yeah. Yeah. So like super fans, please pull back. Don't, don't kill me on this, but, but this record reignited the band in a different kind of way 
Yeah, for sure. And this was, I think, the this came seven years after the record that they had done prior. Uh, Democracy came out in 1996, and then this came out in 2003. So, yeah, yeah I think there was there was energy. People wanted a Killing Joke record. Dave Grohl on drums. It kind of hit all the notes. Yep. So, um, and Andy Gill from Gang of Four uh, produced it as well. And that's so. So this is an interesting thing that I want to touch on really quick is the amount of weirdos involved in this record as a project. Like <laughs> Gang of Four maybe is a band we should put on our, our list. Uh, I'd like to do. Uh, oh, Gang sure. Sure. Um, this record sounds like it came from a bunch of weirdos doing weird things. Um, so I wanted to tell you before we get into our track by track. Yeah. My first listen to this record, I, I stopped it and was like, I don't know if I can even listen to this right now. <laughs> and almost that, that tracks almost <clears throat> stopped it. Was like, I can't listen to this right now. And almost messaged you like, yo man, let's push back recording. I can't like, <laughs> I'm not going to be able to get through this. Right. I like, I, I gotta like, I want to sit with this and figure it out. I should give some context. I was in the middle of assembling a compost bin with my, pregnant wife and seven-year-old son. So that's kind of like a thing. (laughs) So I think that maybe was more of it was like, Hey, I'm in a cold garage trying to put this thing together. Then it was, um, then it was the record. Yeah. But the first track is a bit jarring. That said by my third listen, and fourth listen of this record, I was all in. Like, like this record is brilliant, and I'm super impressed with it, and I have critiques. But as someone who's not a super fan of industrial or the certain brand of 90s heavy that I think you find in a lot of elements of this record... A certain amount of this record. I was so impressed with the craft and how well it flows together in some of the song structures and how different it is than what I remembered Killing Joke being like. That's cool. I totally get the uh, the vibe. You know, I mean, it definitely puts you in a place. And if you're not ready to be put in that place, it's uh, it might be a tough listen. <clears throat> you know, no, put, putting it on. Uh, over the Bluetooth speaker while trying to like <laughs> do a, a woodshop project with a, a child, um, maybe not the right energy, you know. So, uh, yeah. so that was kind of a, an aborted mission. And it's one of those things, like many many records. Uh, as much as you can say, wrong, right time, wrong place, wrong place, right time, wrong time, wrong place, all that stuff. Sometimes for the listener, you're in the wrong place in the wrong time. Yeah. I was not in the mood in a cold garage about to do some woodshop to listen to that record. And uh, as the intro to the first song of the record started, I was like, all right, all right, I, I can't do this right now. <laughs> so I'm glad I bailed. I'm glad I bailed and then revisited when I was in a better space to, to, to get into it. I think um, that's an important lesson. I do that with uh, records. When, when someone recommends me an album, if I really like, I'm just not feeling it 
the first time, I'll always kind of make a point to go back a week later when I'm kind of in a different mindset and revisit it because I really do think that like the mood you go into something in or the situation you're in is going to affect, you know, how you're, uh, how you're taking that record in. So yeah, like I feel that 100%. So yeah, before we get into it, uh, tell me about how you feel about this record. I love this record. I mean, um, again, I, I was very familiar with the first killing joke album. Uh, once my friend recommended it to me, um, he has a pretty good taste in music, I think. And, uh, you know, I took his word for it and listened to it. And it was just one of those things where I was living in New York at the time. So I was basically always listening on headphones, you know, whether it was in the subway or walking around or whatever. Um, and the energy of this record totally matched the energy of New York. You know, you're just walking around, it's chaotic, it's loud. Um, so, I don't know. It, it hit me at the right time in the right place. Um, basically, once I heard it, I like I listened to it over and over. I'm a big fan. That's actually a great point. This is. I want to go for two spots. One, this does feel like, you know, the <clears throat> there's a. I think it's between Grand Central and Times Square. Yeah. There's basically like a transition. You can ba- you can walk the whole way, and it's like it's kind of it's it's essentially two or three city blocks. It's pure pandemonium. Like in normal times, if you're there during any time between 7 a.m. and say 9 a.m. and then basically from 3 to 8 p.m., it's just a mess at all times. And that I could see this record really catching that energy. Um, And that's exactly where I was walking around. (laughs) Right. So yeah. so I, that's how I feel about it. Also, low key, the importance that headphone listening is to music and how that translates into urban versus suburban versus rural listening. Yeah. Like, yo, I do a lot of my listening in the car or, you know, when I'm around my house now, I'll do headphones. Because uh, I have, you know, my significant other works from home. So it's like, you know, let, let her do a thing. But I, uh, I'll have headphones on then. But previous, I'd be like, oh, I'm just going to put this on, you know, the speaker kind of quiet, like, you know, not super loud. The difference between listening at, like headphones listen and just casual listen is so big. And when you live in a city, you're almost always doing headphone listens. Yeah. Okay. So I, I was super impressed. I, in kind of the learning thing, I would say this record has all the elements that I would have liked from any industrial record I've heard. I wish they had the kind of underlining chops. And like, maybe this is my encouragement to go back and listen to KMFDM. Uh, Maybe this is (laughs) my encouragement to go really dive on the skinny puppy records yeah. but it's not it's not full-blown industrial or like heavy but it's it's creepy and weird and where i think all the like like the the mainstream uh marilyn manson type bands or things like that miss the mark they could find the cues on this record like no 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 you you want to do some weird like high dramatic stuff like on a few of these songs 
where dude goes into full on like Halloween style. I've got a recipe. <laughs> like you catch that here, but like I was rolling with that. I was like, oh, okay, that's what we're doing. All right. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm here for it. You know? Yeah. And there's a lot of times where that could take me out. Um, I also think that there's elements of this record that new metal, groove metal, etc., could learn from because they've got the first song particularly, and I guess we could transition into doing track by track, but the death and resurrection show has what I would call percussive guitars. Mm-hmm. When I say that, do you, does it make sense what I'm saying there immediately? It's like, it's how the guitars open the. Percussive guitars, and I was realizing, like, yo, that's a that's a thing that that lots of bands do, especially in the metal space. Um, heavy alternative, heavy rock—you'll get that sometimes. Usually, I'm out on it. Uh, they were able to use it in a way that, while I still wasn't the biggest fan, I was like, oh, they're doing something here, especially in the repetitions, where it was becoming almost tribal in the way they were playing it. You know? Yeah. Um, and I think you catch that on a lot of the drumming on this record too. Yeah, 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 for sure. I mean, I think it, Dave Grohl can make a record. I mean, I think he's done it before. Um, he contributes hugely to this one. You know, Queens of the Stone Age, so, Songs for the Deaf. Like, I'm not yeah. even a Queens of the Stone Age fan. I like that record because I think his drums like make it in a way. Um, but yeah, Death and the Resurrection show, the first song... Um, it's super intense. It feels like they're like, I mean, the lyrics are basically like, you know, the drummers are assembling and, you know, they're, they're getting around the campfire or they're getting around the, the pyre. And, uh, you know, it's, it's like this really intense kind of cult, like kind of atmosphere they're building. Yes. But, but the, uh, the drums, I mean, the way that the song builds again, like Bob said, it starts, you know, only with guitar, the drums come in, but when they come in, they come in super hard. Mm-hmm. Um, the vocals don't really build until like a minute and a half in, but when they do build, they're 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 big, you know. Yeah, yeah, um, they are. It's kind of this meditative thing. It's like it's seven minutes long, but it does not feel that long to me. Um, it's it's. I think it's a great opener. It really like I've mentioned it before, but I feel like what a good opening song does is kind of give you a sense of like what's to come, like little tastes of everything. And I feel like this record does that really well or this song. Yeah. I I think you're right. I I tend to agree with everything you said on that. I, 
my initial listen, as mentioned, I was in the wrong place, wrong time, but it threw me for a loop because of how aggressive it was. Yeah. And how leaning into that kind of metal, like modern rock, active rock, certain elements of it. I was like, wait, what, what the hell am I listening to? (laughs) That said on sequential subsequent listens, you, you meditative is the right word for it. It's almost entrancing. Um, and those big riffs, the big the big guitar stuff, it, it just it pulls you in in a way that like some of these bands pull you in, but they have a, a different energy to it. Um, and, and I'll make some comps as we're going through here. But but so to me, while I don't find this to be like this isn't my favorite song on the record, far from it. It, it's it's obviously a keeper, and it also does set the tone for the entire record. Yeah. So uh, clearly, clearly, uh, clearly keeping that song. Not Same. not going to ditch that one. Okay. Same. Um, one of my favorite songs <clears throat> on the record, and where it's sort of like <sighs> a reason you have to listen to albums sometimes. And I I, I have this conversation with a friend who. Uh, often makes the comment that EPs over LPs, et cetera, just write good songs. And, and sometimes he's right. You know, if you can write four hits, but the rest of it's Drek, just put out the four hits. Yeah. My counter would be this, where the first song might take you out, but about two minutes into the second song, I was like, yo, this song's great. Like, I, I'm all in on this song. Like, and it started making me go, okay, well now, like my ears perked in a way. So, um, total invasion. It's gnarly. Yes. Like we talked about, you know, you mentioned the lyrics for the first song, um, oil baron running the government. So I'll start a war. All votes in value. (laughs) Use an old lie. Going to carve up your wealth like pumpkin pie. Only fools won't realize it. Won't be told the empire's run on the old black gold. It's seething, biting, like gnarly lyrics. Awesome. Great song. (laughs) Yeah. I like the song a lot. It's funny. You mentioned the lyrics because to me, it's like, it brings me right back to 2003. I think like 2003 is, like very early in my political life. It's when I like started actively kind of getting interested in politics. Right. And and this is like very, you know, like, like Iraq, Afghanistan, like, like U S has taken over, you know, for oil and American like, empire, yeah. you know, American <laughs> empire. And, you know, they were obviously thinking about foreign policy, whereas now I don't know that anyone's thinking about that at all. Um, <laughs> right. But, uh, yeah, it was, it was, it was interesting. I, I, I love the song though. Um, they slow it down a little bit. It like kicks into a more, there's definitely more of a groove here than uh death and resurrection show. Death and resurrection show is like, it's really stiff, you know, like you were saying, I mean, it's, 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 um, you know, it's, there's like an edge to it. There's, there's not a lot of room to move. Whereas total invasion, like it has a catchier chorus, um, you know, and there's that groove there. And it also yep. has that strange whispering that you were talking about at the beginning, which, which I think you're right. Like stuff like that, if done in, if, if, if done a certain way, I am not going to be in on it at all. But for this song, it doesn't really bother me at all. Like, I think it's kind of cool. It adds to it. You get that. And then you get the kind of more, what you find through a lot of this record, um, 
are the it's it's jazz right is the vocalist yes yeah yep. uh, so it's his trademark gravelly very lemmy very motorhead-esque gnarl starts to really come to the forefront in this song and the other parts and um to me anyone who's into that kind of heavier like do you like something on Neurot records uh do you like neurosis do you like amoebics do you like crust punk music this record won't look like you should love it but you should give it a try and yes the songs are long but i dare you to not to listen to this and not see parallels to stuff that you love because some of the political commentary and then the it's just gnarly music right like yeah it's it's ugly but also really tuneful like that is the part that like they thread the needle in the way that i wish industrial did as a genre yeah between like merging tuneful powerful music and sort of this ugliness to it too, uh, better than most. Like this is this is a, a landmark accomplishment, and and they do it just. It seems almost effortless, and uh, in one way it feels fresh and new. But then you also realize, wait, this is a band who's this is their eleventh record. They they <laughs> this isn't they, they know what they're doing. So yeah, yeah, that's a keeper for me. Yeah, no no question. Maybe my favorite song of the record, but yeah, nice. So Asteroid is next. Um, this is actually my favorite song on the record. Oh, um, okay. It's super heavy. It's like, I feel like this is, if we're comparing them to other industrial bands, I feel like this is the more industrial song or the most industrial song on the record. Yeah. Um, it's super intense. But like talking about before, kind of when I first got into this record, it was walking around the city. Um, and this song just like fit that atmosphere and still now, like I'll put it on while I'm running or like, you know, when I'm doing something active and it like always gets me psyched. Um, it's cool. It's the lyrics are basically just about being an asteroid and like coming, just coming to destroy the (laughs) earth. It's great. (laughs) I'm in. It's also the shortest song at three minutes and 45 seconds. So, right. Yo, and I also love that this is the song you choose to run to. Like, I'm an asteroid. All right, yeah. cool. <laughs> Let's go. Um, yeah. Fantastic follow up. And, like, by this point in the record, when I, once I kind of overcame my, my initial pushback to Death and Resurrection show, I was like, this record's really got a texture by Asteroid. And it wasn't like they weren't one note. Death and Resurrection, Total Invasion, and Asteroid are three very different songs. I really like the way you laid out Asteroid. It's it's got a little more structure, um, like the 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 way the song flows is a little more structured, and obviously it's condensed, so that helps with it. A mm-hmm. little more traditional, um, but I really like it. I, I think it it like hits exactly right, and like. By this point of the record, you're you're grooving. You're just like in their pocket, and uh, yeah, yeah. Are you keeping uh, it? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. No question. I mean, it's nice. it's very strong. Like like I, yeah, I might surprise you with this record. I'm I'm having. We'll get there. Um, in plan. <laughs>
implant. So this is this is for me where it uh, it takes a little bit of a dive. Um, I'm not as hot on this song. Implant. It's really drum driven. I think like Dave Grohl can make a hook with a drum fill. I think that's like what he does best. True. Um, he makes a song memorable in this way that it wouldn't be if he weren't playing on it. Um, so it's, it's one of those songs where like, I think it, it breathes and it has life because he's on it, but otherwise I don't know. I don't know. It, it, it doesn't do much for me as a song. Um, they kind of experiment with like, you know, this synthy kind of ethereal feel that they haven't really tapped into yet on the record. So it is cool yes. in that way. Um, because they're kind of, again, like adding even more texture to the record. I think it goes on a little bit long. It's like just over five minutes. Um, and the lyrics, which, you know, if, if, if anyone out there doesn't know, um, much about killing joke, what I do know, I watched that documentary, yo, talk about tinfoil hat. Like these dudes like really, truly are like there in this way <laughs> that it's like impressive to me. I'm so, I think it's so cool. I think, I think your rock stars should be crazy. Um, that's, yo, I really like your take on this. Yeah. Keep going. That's maybe a controversial opinion, but like, I think if you've been in music for long enough, like just dude, be wild. Like, you know, you don't have to answer to anyone. You just play your song. So like follow Ian Brown on Twitter and you'll, uh, you'll get an idea of what I'm talking about. I was going to say, is this going to be like our recurring theme? We're only, we're only going to do stuff on crazy dudes, like yeah, crazy, I, crazy in, rocker stuff. Okay. I'm into um, it, but, but this is all about like, you know, corporations implanting you and mining your DNA. And like, I mean, yo, jazz Coleman right now is like writing songs about Bill Gates and COVID. I'm telling you like the next oh, record, yeah. the next oh, record is going to be the next record is just called microchip. Yeah. A hundred percent. So yeah. Um, I like this song. It it kind of to me feels more spiritually connected to uh, to Total Invasion. Um, yeah, you're right. It is sort of drum led, and it has more of that uh, industrial, and then almost that you said ethereal, airy, not quite spacey vocals. He's going for the more his more melodic vocal part towards the end of it. Um, I really like certain sections of this song. I think it feels like I think for for somebody who's into aggressive kind of nonconformist music that's that doesn't feel vividly dated, this song could could connect. You know, yeah. I, I mean, I think about some of the bands that are out. I think about bands in the you know punk and hardcore world, or or you know that extended one like if you're somebody who likes code orange this might be the song i play for you first interesting you know? yeah I, I, it's it's just got energy that's there you know like we haven't talked about nine inch nails like there's certain nine inch nails elements on this record like oh yeah there's certain rage against the machine stuff that like it parallels those kind of bands and uh yeah i i this this song is aggressive um and and it, it, it drives um, in a, an odd way that you're right. Drum led is the perfect way to put this song. I'm keeping it. Are you keeping it? I'm going to keep it. It's, okay. it I, it's, I don't feel strong enough to cut it. I think it's a cool song and it adds, 
you know, different elements to the record. Um, and I mean, I think, yeah, it's a cool song. I just, I don't feel as strongly about it, particularly coming after asteroid, which is like my favorite song. So, right. Okay. Uh, blood on your hands. So this one is actually a hard cut for me. Um, it falls flat. Um, the lyrics for some, like, I don't know why I paid so much attention to the lyrics on this one, maybe because I'm familiar with the music and I had never really dove into the lyrics. Um, five corporations earn more than 46 nations. You've got blood on your hands. You've got blood on your hands. Corruption at the highest levels, man-made hell and a man-made devil. Like this is their 11th record. I feel like I, could have this could have been lyrics to like my high school punk band you know (laughs) which like yo no offense jazz i love your band you know but like um aside from that though it just it doesn't have the drive that the other songs have um they take it down a notch and it just kind of loses energy for me they do but (laughs) the chorus is infectious to me the the exact now it does have it does reek of you know, high school punk band or something. Corruption at the highest levels, man-made hell and a man-made devil. Like, <laughs> yo, I can't cut the song because of that part. Because the rest of it, I agree. I think the rest of the song, I believe they were going track five. Let's give a, f- a hard tempo change. <clears throat> drift a bit. Um, slow it down but they have this driving chorus that saves the song to me. Um, it saves it to me. I, I think the vocal part on there, it, it rips. Um, much of the song. Now here's, here's my overlying comment. This song is six minutes long. Yeah. This record is 59 minutes long. <laughs> That's we a long could- one. We could trim this song, and I, I, I'm, I'm like Death and Resurrection show. I think we could trim a bit. Total Invasion probably could trim a little bit. Like you could trim thirty seconds off that. You, I think Death and Resurrection show you could trim a minute. But you're right; it doesn't feel like a seven minute long song. Total Invasion doesn't feel like a five and a half minute song. Um, Asteroid feels like a like a grind song at three minutes and twenty four seconds compared to the rest of these songs. Yeah, like, for sure. Implants five eighteen. <clears throat> Blood on your hands is six minutes. If they had given Blood on Your Hands the asteroid template and kind of gone really stuck to the plot and just kind of verse, chorus, verse, you know, chorus, uh, I would have had it way higher on my rankings because I think it's a strong chorus. It just the execution of it is. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's, it's long and it feels that way. This is the first point on the record where you can feel how, lo- how long you've been listening to it. You're like, oh, I'm, I'm almost a half hour in here. All right. Yeah. Yeah. Numerous six minute long songs on this album, which uh, at a, at a certain point it's, it's, it can be a bit grating. I feel that. Yeah. Okay. Uh, loose cannon. Oh, so you're doing hard cut on blood on your hands. I'm keeping. Okay. All right. Loose cannon. Loose cannon. So this is the second single I believe they released for the record. Um, I think it's a really strong song. It, uh, they break it down a little bit again, you know, there's a good groove to it. It's a little slower, but there's like a super sing alongy chorus. Um, I don't know. I like it a lot. I think it's good. Uh, maybe the most memorable chorus, some cool churny guitar parts. Like you could tell me 
production wise, it's hard to 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 take this record and put it somewhere in the late eighties, early nineties. It, it just sounds like a record that was produced post two thousand. It sure. sounds sounds big, sounds clean, sounds clear. Really, just like tuned yeah. in. Otherwise, they do so much that I feel like bands could pull from. And like low key, I, I think this is one of those like your favorite band's favorite band kind of things because they just have so much going on. Like the guitar work on this song just has this churning, grinding metal like lurch to it that it's awesome. And, yeah. and you can see why they, they did well. Uh, it's a keeper for me. This one also um, a little shorter, but but like punk brain bob is like oh cut it you know let's cut, cut a little <laughs> little fat off there but it's it, it moves pretty quick you know yeah, it, it, yeah, feels, yeah. it feels right at that this is a For song sure. i'm excited to hear your opinion on but well, last last thing on loose cannon oh, very, very very tasteful use of the china symbol which is uh tough to do sometimes all right you'll never get me you'll never get me uh, you'll never get to me yeah you'll never get to me sorry First, first full listen. I'm like, w- w- is this stained? What are we doing here? This feels very <laughs> active rock, you know. And um, I wrote, if they had a ballad, this would be it. Yes, yes, yeah. There's a level of like, like I could see triumphant soccer hooligan like really vibing to this song. Like, yeah, it has this kind of uplifting feel to it that I was like, yo, this almost feels like corny compared to the rest of the record. And I'm talking about corny when like it has some super radical, you know, man-made hell and a man-made devil and raspy voice vocals. And (laughs) and this is the track where I'm like, I don't know, it's losing me. But it's, this is the jubilant song on the record. And, um, I don't know. It, it's I was more prepared on my initial dive here to expect like more downtrodden, given how like dark and, and grimy it is. But I guess by the eleventh record of this shit, you're just like, "Yo, motherfuckers, we won. We're good." I'm gonna tell you <laughs> the government's fucked up, but like also, I won. I'm cool. I'm good. You know. Yeah. Um, this might get a cut. However, as I kept listening to the record. I enjoyed this song. Like I wasn't skipping it. I was like, ah, this yeah. is cool. So, yeah. so I'm going to reserve my feelings. Talk to me about you'll never get to me. I mean, the thing about it, like, so it's not my favorite song, but 
this record and you said it yourself i mean it's it's fucking punishing man like it's just like this relentless pummel on your eardrums you know so like i feel like it is necessary in that way where it's like the only kind of breath that you get in this like sea of intense dark like punishing madness yeah um so like as 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 kind of a you know as like a tool in that way it it works um but as a song like yeah i'm never gonna like actively go to this song i'm not you know it's not one of the killing joke songs i ever think about um it definitely goes on way too long it's you know again over six minutes i think like if they had done the punk the punk ballad version of it and made it like three minutes maybe it would have been enough of a breath of fresh air you know Yo, I, I, you you've just sold me on not cutting it because I think this hits the right notes for the breath of fresh air, change of pace. The tempo's still kind of driving; it's more uplifting tempo, but like, so you don't lose that energy. But the tone shift is so much it it gives you the tone shift that I think they were hoping you were going to catch yeah. on like implant or blood on your hands, but didn't really nail and you get it here and, and you feel a significant like, okay, this is like, it shifts the record feel up. So I'm keeping it. I think flow wise, it's very important to the record. Cool. All right. Sold uh, you next song seeing red. Yeah. So this was the first single that they released for the record. Um, another drum driven tune, which I think like, are they all drum driven? If you have Dave Grohl on them, probably. Um, at least the and singles are. <laughs> at least the singles are. I mean, again, this is one where, like, to me, I don't know if it would be as strong without him playing on it. Um, uh, I don't know. It. It. This one, I like it. It doesn't hit me super hard. Um, it's again one of those songs that's it's a little bit too long. Um, I don't know. What did you think? Um, the guitar work makes me think of like late 90s college radio um tinny guitar like like college metal you know like yeah like this is metal being made by people without beards but tight shirts and cool jeans yeah which is weird to say because the rest of this record pretty ugly you get a little more again almost like a carryover from the prior track of the like a little bit more groundswell and uprising, like sense of positivity to it with still gnarly lyrics. Um, it's, it's, I don't dislike it. I'm not sold on it. This might be my cut. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, even that it would be a soft cut. I I don't hate it at all. Like I actually, yeah, if I cut it, it would be a soft cut too. Okay. So, so let's, I'm, I'm on, we'll I'm on the fence. yeah, it's, it's, it's not, it's, it's unanimously not the strongest song on the record, but also in the flow of the record, it's working. Yeah. It's, it's working, but it's also like, this is, I think where you start feeling, you re- really start feeling the length of the record. Yeah. Yeah. You know? So, so, so if we cut these five minutes, five and a half minutes, um, that might be good. <laughs> like, Maybe. honestly, I think, I think this record would be best served being a seven ish, eight, maybe song record. 
because that probably puts the record around 40 something minutes. Yep. Right. And so to me of these next two, so, so there's two songs left on the album, dark forces and the house that pain built. Yep. I like dark forces Forces first. Okay. I like dark forces. I think it's weird. I, I, I think like, they're in this weird kind of, I wonder what they were doing lyrically. There's some like weird illusions here. Um, but again, sticking with the super kind of uh, fuck the rich vibe, which yeah. I'm with, you know? Um, oh yeah. Yeah. I'm keeping this song. Like I, I, if, if there's a song of these last three, the last three songs in this record really kind of like, don't, don't make me sing or leave but of them i think dark force is my favorite so i'll keep that one okay so i'm going to cut this song oh okay um i think you were right in saying that this would be a good seven song record maybe six i have to think about the songs that i cut yeah but it's one of those things where you know i mentioned that i was listening to this record a lot i I, I feel like I must have gotten to maybe loose cannon and then I would like get to where I was going and never really hit these last couple songs because they, they just, uh, I don't know. They just, they don't hit me that hard. And I feel like, again, it's, you're just at this point where unless you're adding like a really, you know, unique new element to it. Yeah it's not really hitting me at this point in the album. And this song, like it's not a bad song. It's just them doing kind of what has already been done over the course of the record in a way that isn't as compelling to me. So the only thing that the reason this song pulls me in is I sort of like the weird extended intro that it has. Sure. So in one way I'm like, no, no, let's cut all these songs. But this one, I'm like, it has this extended sort of like, meandering moody synthy intro that then gets right back into the pummeling and like if this was released as a standalone song i'd be like yo this is kind of good whereas yeah. like you'll never get to me i'd be like um so i agree though you you get pummeled through this record like it, it feels like it's musically the equivalent of going and getting in the dryer you know, you're just getting tossed <laughs> and smashed and smashed and smashed. And for at some point, you're like, whoa, this roller coaster is great. But after the fifth time around, you're like, get me off the roller coaster. Uh, <laughs> that said, I, I, I do. I like the song. I, I like the I like that contrast change. And I could even say like, OK, you'll never get to me could be track seven. And then this could be the closer of track eight, which is Makes foreshadowing sense. how I feel about the house of the pain bill. All right. So how's the pain built? Final song on the record. Um, another song. I think it's so the second song in a row that's over six minutes. Yep. Um, I actually really like this song. Um, oh, okay. I feel like it starts off a little lackluster. It's definitely a song that could trim a few minutes. Um, <laughs> but I really, I, I do like how uh, there's a lot of different, There's it's a dynamic song. I mean, there's like really fast kind of blast beat parts, but then there's like, I think a really great chorus. Um, the fast part reminds me kind of, of uh, that ministry song thieves. And I don't even, I don't yeah. know ministry all that well. I think I remember That's thieves. From Beavis. 
Yeah, but uh, I think I remember Thieves from a Beavis and Butthead video. There's, um, this song does have a little bit of stompiness to it. Yeah. And maybe it's just my familiarity. And it, it, it's like, ah. Like, I think this is where I felt the fatigue the most. Sure. You know, and I just didn't feel like it followed mm-hmm. up at, at the end. But I agree. It's not like, like, I still am overall impressed. <laughs> like, it's it's a masterwork record. Yeah, yeah. I, I I think I feel the fatigue at Dark Forces yeah. and seeing Red. I feel like this song had enough that I hadn't heard over the course of the record, and, and like I thought it was a strong enough song. I thought I think it's actually like a really good closer. Um, but yeah, I mean, regardless of all that, I mean, it's uh, it's definitely like it's got tracks, you know. Yo, so got tracks. Um, real yeah. Are there tracks? <laughs> 100%. 100%. Yeah. Really quick before we move in, um, I want to ask you what are our unanimous tracks that we'll be adding to our Spotify playlist? I think Asteroids a unanimous track. Okay. Yeah, that would that would be my pick. Okay. Um, my my other pick is probably Total Invasion, but I could be talked into Death and Resurrection show because it does really showcase the record as a whole and kind of give you a feel of it. So I was thinking the same thing. Um, Loose Cannon, I also thought about, but I think, so Asteroid and Total Invasion, if you combine those two, you kind of get the feel of Death and and Resurrection Show. Ooh, good point. Right? Whereas Death and Resurrection Show is kind of the whole whole gamut. Yeah, Death and Resurrection, you get some more of those like, maybe a little more of the heavier stuff that you don't get. Hmm. That's true. Yo, let's do all, let's do the first three tracks on this. All right. I think that's, I think those are undisputable. Um, those are our unanimous tracks. Uh, the first three songs on this record, they'll be on that playlist. Like I said, um, Pete, is this record still relevant? I think it, I don't, I, I have a hard time actually with that one now that I think about it. I know this is I, your question. It's a good question too. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I think that, uh, I think killing joke are going to be a band that are relevant for a very long time. And I think that this record is kind of always going to stand out. I mean, it's, but it's, it's, it's not going to be as prominent, right? Like it's, it's, it's similar to what you said before, where it's like your favorite band's favorite band. Yep. You know, they're not the band that everybody's talking about, but I think there are always going to be people, you know, in influential positions who are doing interesting things with music who are pointing to this band and this record specifically. Um, so, yeah, I, th- I think it's relevant in that way. For uh, sure. I think it's I think it's relevant. I think it's um, I think it's relevant. I think it is underappreciated. I think it's actually the people who like this band uh, love this record. I think that there's people who just love this record in general, feel very mm-hmm. strongly about it. I believe that who is it for? Uh, people <clears throat> into weird guitar music over the age of 30. <laughs> However, I think anybody who's into metal, metal core deathcore, new metal, industrial, 90s rock, 90s alt. Uh, 
Yeah, I was gonna say if you're if you're just a Nine Inch Nails fan, like yes. you, you you're gonna find something here. Yeah, this record know? should should hit your playlist because there's some really interesting parts to it. Like outside of somebody who's just straight up on some like I'm hanging out on Adam's deck, like uh, listening to uh, Eve Six and uh, Matthew Sweet. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think if you like aggressive '90s rock, you should check this record out. Um, and I think it does still have an impact. But this record, more than anything, reminds me of a record that, like, this record's waiting to be discovered by people and be like, holy shit, this is this is what we're going to base our whole band around and yeah. go from there, you know? Um, how did it age? Pete, how does this record doesn't this record could have come out yesterday, right? Yeah, no, it doesn't sound aged at all. I feel like. I think it's tough to do interesting things with guitar music mm-hmm. now, you know, um, they were doing very interesting things with guitar music 20 years ago. So, and, and I think still are, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, totally agree. And how will it age? Yeah. I mean, it's going to age. I think this is going to age very, very, very well. So, um, with that said, we should do our ratings. So, yeah. Our ratings. Um, you want to go first? Yeah. Let's see. <laughs> I'm going to give this a very solid four stars. Cool. There's parts of me that would think about giving it an even higher grade. But the fatigue of the record is there. Yeah. If you were someone who's <laughs> just looking for brutal, heavy, punishing, smart music this is a cool record, you know, like I, I think we we've left out there's, it's not very noisy, but I could see people who are into more chaotic, noisy music to really vibe on it too. Cause it's just got that energy. Um, I'm going to give it a very solid four stars. I think it's a great record and transcend genre that makes me want to really explore industrial, you know, like, as weird as it is to say, like I, I need to, I need to dig around in this band's catalog as well as say, like, what am I hearing here that I really like, and what are the parallels? Because I just think they did stuff structurally with this record that uh, impressed me in the heavy music space. Well said. Yeah, I'm actually so I I went in thinking that I was going to give this a five or at the very least a four and a half. Um, I am going to give it a solid four stars as well. Okay. Um, mostly just because of the, the length of it. Um, you know, that's kind of always my thing, but yeah, an hour is long and some of these songs could be trimmed. Uh, like I said, a few of them, I think I could do without, and that's not to say they're even bad songs. It's just that, you know, with a record as punishing as this, I think, you know, you hit me with like six fucking gems. Yep. It's, it's a perfect album, you know, and it's, it's 30, 40 minutes. Yep. Um, I love the artwork on it. Um, it still sounds great. It's still relevant. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's, uh, it's like you said about the industrial thing. I mean, it does make me want to go deeper into industrial music, but at the same time, I feel like, you know, I have dabbled and I feel yeah. like Killing Joke in a lot of ways take the best elements of that and do it in a in a in a in a way that's more interesting to me, I guess. Yeah, I, I mean um, I think that's I think that would largely be what I feel too, because I've done the smallest a bit of bit of dabbling 
and sort of what I was saying, like they make their template, they have a tunefulness to their ugly. Yeah. It is so appealing that I, I wish more bands would take cues from it specifically on this record. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I feel like, like you said too, it's, it's deep, man. Like you can spend time with this record and get different things out of it every time. I think if you're a musician and you're kind of looking for some inspiration, there's a lot of that to be found here. Um, it's cool. It's a great record. I recommend it too. I mean, you know, there's a time and a place for records like this, just given the kind of nature of them. But uh, sure. yeah, if, you, if you're into heavy music at all, it's definitely worth listening to. Yeah, I, I agree. And you know, when we talk about all the factors we think about Pete length, is it too long? Yes. Always. Does it yeah. drag? I don't know that it drags. For me, it drags around like the last three songs. See, see but- it, 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 it doesn't like, uh, cause I, I think, I think we're actually on the exact same plane with it. It doesn't drag to me, but I am tired of it. I'm battered. So it's not yeah. like I'm like tapping my foot. It's just like, whew, all right, uh, I, I think I've had enough. It's sort of like the difference between a boxing match and a race. In a race, you're, you're, you're tired and trying to give up. A boxing match, you're going, I've had enough. I've been battered, you know? And this was a boxing match, not a race. Yeah. I mean, if Seeing Red was the second song that I heard, I might feel differently. Yeah, mm-hmm. you're right. Does it feel low? Yeah. Album flow. Um, I think it feels, I think it flows really well. Uh, you know, aside from the length, I think uh, everything ties together really well. There's, there's, there's different elements. It's dynamic. Um, yeah, I think it flows really well. Uh, superior album flow and exactly what you said, dynamic and unique in it. So major yeah. props to that quality of the songs and lyrics. <laughs> I mean, the lyrics are fun, yeah. you know, I, I, I'm, I'm with it. Um, I love how serious. How serious they feel so serious which is it adds to the kind of punishing nature of the whole thing you know there's there's no there's no fun to be had here yes yes <laughs> um timelessness uh no this feels we said you as a listener should be in the right place but i think it it is relatively timeless like this this could be if you're ready for pummeling a pummeling hard heavy record here you go it doesn't matter yeah. if it's 2003 2013 2033 or 3033 uh, i think it'll it'll feel that way yeah and then final question the presentation um how do you feel you you like the artwork we talked about this it's weird cuz it's like like is a hard word it's iconic and it's very memorable um, it's striking. Would I wear a t-shirt with it on it? Hell no. But as an <laughs> album art, it, it certainly works. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think it fits the kind of vibe of the album. Um, I would not wear that t-shirt either. Although they did have it for sale when I saw them. So <laughs> yeah, I think that's a good place to stop everybody. Thank you for joining us. Bye bye.
Attention! 